You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. If you grew up collecting baseball cards, and for most of the male population in America around my age or older, that describes you, you'll have a soft spot for John Mangini. Mangini began collecting baseball cards when he was two years old, when his mom started buying him cards, and he remembers opening packets beginning at about age five. He now has a collection of sports memorabilia exceeding 100,000 items anchored by a phenomenal baseball card collection. He has a unique evaluation method. He doesn't always go off the grade or the valuation by other collectors. If he sees it, if he likes it, he buys it. Native of the Pittsburgh area, a lot of his collection is former Pirates, Steelers, and Penguins. But he now lives in South Carolina where he has a dream of someday opening a museum or even a sports card cafe. And John, if you do that, I want to be your first customer. But anyway, that cafe will be where people can come in and soak in the atmosphere. I'm looking forward to soaking in the atmosphere of a kindred spirit. John, welcome to Sports Connections. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. I'm, I mentioned in the introduction that your mom started buying you cards when you were two years old. Why did she do that? You know, uh, that's a good question. Um, I, I, I really don't know why she started doing it. I just remember that I had cards from a time I can remember. I can't ever remember my life without them. What was your family? I mean, did you have older brothers that were into it or was your, your parents big sports fans? My, uh, I'm an only child, so I didn't have uh, older brothers that were into it. But my father's a sports fan and he was a big, big baseball fan. He even uh, my mom always jokes that he postponed their wedding uh, because St. Louis was in town. <laughs> it may be true, may not be, but it's a good story, <laughs> right? Right. Okay. Um, was it natural that you picked it up as a hobby if, since your dad was so interested? And, and when did it go from being a hobby to being what my wife calls an obsession? Yeah. So, you know, first, I grew up a baseball fanatic and a card fanatic, and I played baseball as long as I can remember. And I don't honestly know which one came first. I don't know if the cards got me interested in, in playing or if playing got me more interested in the cards. I honestly don't remember. But uh, my father, like I said, was a huge uh, sports fan and just taught me to play at a very, very young age. I remember in Itty Bitty, uh, the best kids, you know, got to play shortstop. And I was yeah. all proud of myself because I got to play shortstop in Itty Bitty. <laughs> and yeah. then you were, the, you were the main recruit going into Little League. Uh, so yeah, my father definitely taught me about sports and all the old players. And that's why when I was growing up, my friends and I all, I grew up in the country and we had a different field for every sport and somebody even put a basketball hoop out on the road and, uh, we all collected cards and it was like currency to us. And, yeah. uh, there was a flea market that was at a fire hall a mile down through the woods. Uh, and we would go there every Sunday and I would buy up all the players. My dad always told me about. So I was buying up Sandy Koufax and Hank Aaron and Willie Mays, those guys. And my friends were buying up the modern players at the time, like Steve Garvey and those guys. So that's how I ended up with a, a very large vintage collection before I was even in junior high. You know, you, you talked about, you weren't sure if it was, playing baseball that caused you to be a fan of baseball card collecting or the other way around it, when you and I 
chatted before we started the recording, I mentioned that mentioned to you that I I could count to 720 when I started kindergarten because that's how many cards were in a in a baseball yeah. card set in the mid 1960s. Right. 721 was totally irrelevant. You know, I didn't need to count to 721 because there was only 720 cards. And I learned to read by reading baseball cards. And I remember, I'm a little older than you. I remember getting stuck on Jim Lefevre, who was uh, an infielder for the Dodgers. And his son, yeah, I remember. His son is now the uh, main television broadcaster for the Royals. And right after he joined the, the broadcast team, I went up to him one day. We became friends pretty quickly. And I walked up to him and I said, hey, next time you see your dad, tell him thanks. And he said, for what? I said, well, he taught me how to read. <laughs> and he said, how did he do that? He didn't teach me how to read. He was always traveling. You know, my mom taught me to read. And I said, well, I was getting stuck. I was learning to read by reading baseball cards. And I got stuck on Lefebvre. And he goes, tell me about it. I was in third grade before I could spell it correctly. And I, so I said, my mom explained phonetics. And sometimes you just have to accept that that says Lefebvre, even though it doesn't look like it. And once I got past that hurdle, I, I learned quickly. And he, he thought that was a pretty cool story. And about two weeks later, he came up put his arm around me, he goes, dad says, you're welcome. <laughs> but, you know, baseball cards were part of my education. Do you think that was, that's similar to you that, that it just, you know, connecting to the game when you couldn't be out playing it yourself was part of the lure of that, of that hobby? Yeah, absolutely. And you hit on something. I did a, a I did a video on my YouTube where I interviewed my parents and uh, kind of, I called it origins. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask them, uh, especially my mom about buying me those cards when I was little. And she told me something I never knew. And she said she was uh, reading some article in a magazine by some uh, doctor uh, that uh, on raising children. And they, uh, and in this article, it said that you should, uh, to get kids to read, you should give them you know, let them read whatever interests them. Give them stuff yeah. that interests them to read. And, uh, you know, it worked because I ended up uh, becoming an avid reader, and have a library and everything now. But at the time, the only thing I read were baseball cards and baseball books. Yeah. Uh, so I never knew that. But I I'm with you. I would always read the back of cards. And that's where I learned all the stats. And they would give a little snippet. Like, uh, I think it was the 1973 Manny Sanguian card. And if you flip it over, it says that he was a, a boxer. And I would never know that had I not yeah. read that card. You yeah. know, so um, it's it's a real education. You know, when we were growing up, it was a, a, a little bit of a different world. And you didn't have access to all this information and the Internet and uh, all these videos. And you had to read. And yeah. that's where we learned. But my uh, my oldest child is uh, he'll be 39 this fall. And when he was born, his birth announcement was a baseball card. And it had a picture of him, you know, an infant in a little Royals outfit that we had bought him. And, and on the back, it said, you know, his stats, uh, likes eating and sleeping. And, and, you know, he's the, his, the little snippet was, he is the first grandchild on both sides of the family and, and, you know, height one feet, 11 inches and, <laughs> and all these different things. He still, he still shares that with his friends proudly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, you're, you're exactly right, John. It, if you're interested in what you're reading, you're going to want to get more of it. Um, now, as I mentioned, I was raised in the sixties long before 
collecting became a business. We collected baseball cards, again, as a way to connect to the game. Did you do the same? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because I was just, like I said, a baseball fanatic. And I don't know why, to be honest with you, but I just had a passion for the history of the game. Yeah. And it was like the old players that my father would tell me about, like uh, Bob Veal, for instance. I remember him. He told me, uh, yeah, Bob Veal was a very hard thrower and he had these thick glasses and he was kind of like a Ryan Durant, if you remember him. Yeah. And he told me this one story that uh, there was, a, you know, uh, his glasses broke one day and nobody would get in the batter's box until they replaced them because he was out there <laughs> trying to pitch without them. <laughs> and so these these stories that my dad would tell me, these 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 players, they would become larger than life. You know, they were larger than the modern players to me. But of course, I had my modern players that I loved as well. In yeah. fact, when I was 16 years old, I, I had... Uh, an opportunity to get hitting lessons from Willie Stargell in Three Rivers Stadium. And of course, Willie Stargell was the man in Pittsburgh when I was growing up because Clemente was like my idol, uh, but he he predated me a little bit. In fact, I was so fascinated with Clemente that uh, I'll never forget in the fifth grade, we had a little paperback book on him and every recess I would read it. And finally, after a couple months of this, my, my teacher, she came up and she handed me the book. And she's just, she said, just take this home with you already. And she gave me the book. Did you do things like trade cards and flip cards when you were? Oh, yeah. Now, I didn't, I I didn't trade a whole lot because I hated to part with any card that I had. And I have one memory of a a trade I kind of regret, but uh, we used to flip them and we would do two things. We would flip them in the air and you call odds and evens. And then the other one we would do is we would line them up against the wall and throw them like a Frisbee and whatever cards you knocked down, you got to keep. How, how we did it is we would each get stacks and we'd only flip doubles. We would never flip, you know, our singles, the ones that we only had one of. But, you know, you'd have a stack of 30 cards and I have a stack of 30 cards and we would alternate and we would we would call teams or positions or colors in sometimes in the late sixties, early seventies, they had different colored borders. And so if you were calling teams and you flipped over a pirate and then I flipped over a pirate, I get the stack. Or if we call position and I flipped over a first baseman and you flipped over a shortstop and I flipped over a pitcher and you flipped over a pitcher, you'd get the stack. And that's how we sometimes filled in missing cards. The best trade I ever made this, I was living in New York at the time. And I traded, I traded a Willie Mays card for a, uh, I can't remember, even remember, I think his first name was Bob Wozlewski. I traded Willie Mays even up for Bob Wozlewski. And so you did pretty well with that one. I, I traded away Willie Mays. Oh, you traded away. Oh, I'm <laughs> because we were collecting and it, you couldn't, I mean, I guess you could have ordered from the tops company and said, I need these cards to fill in, but that seemed illegal. That seemed like it was like, it was unfair. And there were two or three kids in my fifth grade class who were all collecting at the same time. And none of us had a Bob Wozlewski. It, maybe it wasn't Bob. I'll have to look that up when we get through here. But I, I remember his last name was Wozlewski and 
so, you know, I was carrying my cards around. And of course, most of the kids in the class wanted to be a part of things. So they would just go buy a pack of cards just so they could get involved with it. And this one girl who obviously didn't know what she was doing, at least she thought she did, but she didn't. She came up, she said, I've got, I don't have much of anything. And I, I said, well, she was showing me and she had a Bob Wozlewski. Nobody <laughs> had a Bob Wozlewski. And I said, Here's, here are all my cards. Pick what ones you want. And she picked my Willie Mays card. And I had like five of them. And this was the 1970 set. And, and so we got all through, consummated the trade. And I, and I said, all right, thank you. And she got up from that table and she started t- telling everybody how stupid I was. Everybody knew how great Willie Mays was. Till one of the kids said, who'd you trade for that? And she said, Wozlewski. He said, I would have given you a Mickey Mantle, or Mickey Mantle was retired, but I would have given you a Hank Aaron and a Willie Mays and, you know, a couple of others. You traded just even up for Willie Mays. So, <laughs> again, it was trading futures. But my set, my 720 cards was worth a whole lot more than 719 without Bob Wozlewski, even though Bob Wozlewski would have been worth, you know, you could get him from tops for 15, 15 20 cents. So, uh, this is about you. This is not about me, but I, I keep thinking about trading and that the best trade I made because I only had to give up a Willie Mays to get Bob Wozlewski. Well, I mean, you hit on something and, and back then you couldn't just get a card if you needed it yeah. <clears throat> to, to complete your set, right? You couldn't just uh, get on eBay and, and buy one like you can yeah. now. Yeah. And you might go, you know, your whole childhood without finding one. Yeah, for so, sure. Uh, when I would buy cards, I mean, that's, that's how I... I ended up with the cards I did because they were the ones I could find, yeah. right? Like if I, if I wanted the Sandy Koufax, I'd buy whatever one I found. I couldn't be too picky about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. When did, well, let me ask it this way. I, I, I mentioned my, my oldest was born in 1983 and I immediately bought him a, a set of 1983 Topps cards. I did that for a few years until I realized that he might not have the passion for it that I did. And it was expensive. And the commercialization of the industry kind of, turned me off a little bit it was like people were buying cards just because they were increasing in value, not because they were baseball fans or they enjoyed collecting and, and opening the pack and taking the piece of bubble gum and, and seeing who you got. Did, did that ever uh, turn you off at all from the industry, the commercialization of it? Uh, absolutely. And I mean, uh, over the last two or three years is a perfect example of uh how a lot of people have gotten turned off because it has become, uh, you know, more about prospecting and bringing a lot of people into the hobby, many of which are unscrupulous mm. and it's not good for the hobby. And the one thing that I've always regretted about it, because there are certainly, certainly good things that come from that as well. But the bad thing is it, um, it kind of blocks children out. Yeah. When you're charging a hundred dollars for a pack, you know, it's not like when we grew up and you could you could spend a quarter and, and get a pack of cards and be excited yeah. at the at the store. And so unless they have parents that are really willing uh, to buy them packs, they're, they're not able to to buy any. And if, if they, uh, you know, are poorer kids or don't have a lot of money. I know when I was growing up, I, I couldn't afford a pack today. I would have never had one. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't I don't like that. And but on the other hand, because uh because of the, I guess, the popularity and the boom, um, 
you know, you have access, I think, to a lot more cards. You have, I mean, we have to buy them from somebody. So you need dealers. Yeah. And if a dealer couldn't make any money, they wouldn't be selling them. <clears throat> so you have, you have that. And then, of course, you know, I was just on an episode of The Card Life, which is the first TV show dedicated to sports cards. Would that exist even? Yeah. Uh, if there wasn't this boom going on? Uh, so there, there are good things that come out of it, too. Yeah. But let's venture off just for a second. You mentioned you mentioned that show. I want to just I, I want to talk about that. Just talk about what that show is and how I'm sure I haven't seen it yet. So I'm going to have to look it up. But how addictive it is for somebody who likes to collect like you do. Well, I think you actually did see it, but didn't realize you were watching it. <laughs> I watched a clip. I watched the clip. That's how I connected with you. But yeah. Oh, OK. OK. Well, it's on Bally Sports Network right now. It's running right now. And I guess they have to let it uh, uh, until it stops airing. They can't publish it on YouTube, but they also have a YouTube channel. And like a month later, after it stops airing, um, they put all the episodes on there. And they had a fascinating one where they brought on the guy who was a teenager at the time. I think he was 17 years old, who created the Ken Griffey Jr. Upper Deck Rookie Card. And it's a oh great my. episode. But yeah, it's hosted by Matt Strom, who's a, a pitcher. He's uh, with Boston this year. And uh, it's a, they do a great job with it. Uh, the guy was out here filming, man, for like probably an hour and a half. And they really only used about 10% of what, what we did. Right, right. So <clears throat> I think he's going to uh, do further uh, episodes where he features more of what we shot. So I'm looking forward to that. And it's called The Card Life. It's called The Card Life, yes. And okay. it airs on Bally Sports Network. All right. So and like I, I said, on YouTube as well, they have a YouTube channel okay. for past episodes. Everybody, everybody has Valley sports. That's where you find your, your local baseball uh, pretty much everywhere, but the yes network in New York, um, you know, and there is a, there is a good side of it. I, I think I shared with you that there were a few months early um, in my married life where we, you know, struggle a little bit financially. And I, I sold a few baseball cards to pay rent uh, a, a time or two. So there was some, there was some value to it. You know, one of my one of my real good friends is Joe Posnanski, the the uh, uh, the sports writer. I've known him for quite a while, and I had him on my podcast, and we were talking about favorite baseball players. And our mutual friend Bob Kendrick, who is the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum here in Kansas City, he told me once, "Baseball is unique in that your favorite player as a child remains your favorite player as an adult, where other sports." you know, it, that your favorite player may change. The interesting thing is for Bob and me, both our favorite player as a child was Hank Aaron. And he said in all the years he's been giving tours, the one time he was nervous about giving a tour of the New York Leagues Museum was when Hank Aaron came through. So anyway, uh, Joe and I were talking about that. And I said, Joe, who's your all-time favorite player? And I would, I could give you, 200 guesses, John, and even tell you he grew up in Ohio and you wouldn't guess who his favorite player is. Dwayne Kuyper. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and it was just, he liked his approach, you know, he did. And I can't even tell you why, what it was about Dwayne Kuyper, but he, he really liked him. So that's kind of a long segue into what's your favorite card of all the, I know you've got more than a hundred thousand. What's your favorite card? 
Yeah. So amass that a lot. It, it is so hard. I, I, I mean, it's really hard, but if I had to pick one, my, um, my 1909 to 11 Honus uh, Wagner Colgan's chip would probably be it. And, and that's not one that's worth the $6.7 million. No, but it's the same image. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And he was Pittsburgh guy, right? He, uh, yep. And is Absolutely. that why, is that why he's the favorite? Um, I, I just, uh, I, you know, that is my dream card. The T206 Honus Wagner. That's the, that's the one out of all the big ones. If I, I mean, you can have the 52 Mano all you want. I, yeah. I want the T206 Wagner. You know, number one, it's truly a scarce card, unlike like the 52 uh, uh, Mantle or a, a lot of the other ones. And uh, the, another one of the scarce ones I'd really like to have is the 33 Nab Lajaway. Uh, those are my, my two of the like kind of holy grail cards that I'd really yeah. like to have. Yeah. My, you know, it, again, I, I kind of lost interest when it became such a business. So my two favorite cards in my possession are my George Brett rookie card, who's my second all-time favorite player, and one of about 15 Hank Aarons that I've got. And I can't tell you which one is my favorite. Probably the 1971, because that's the one I first collected out of a pack. But Hank Aaron being my favorite player, one of his cards, I have a rookie card. Uh, I'm not going to tell you how, you know how much it's worth. Nobody else does. I don't want anybody breaking into my house to steal it. But, uh, you know, those are some valuable cards, but they're really not because I will never sell them. Uh, right. You know, I'm not getting rid of them. You know, when I'm. Yeah. And, you know, that's the problem with the boom is when you're a collector like I am or you are, uh, we just, uh, it doesn't work out for us. Now yeah. we have to pay uh, so much more. Uh, for those cards that we've been putting off just because you used to be able to get them. And it's just really a mat matter of, uh, you know, shelling out the money and, and picking one out. Like for decades, some of these cards didn't really change a whole lot in price. Like you wanted yeah. the Sandy Koufax card, you knew for $300, you could get one at any time. And then 2020 and COVID rolled around and now it's 3000 and not 300, you know, that kind of thing. And so from a collector's standpoint, on one hand, it hurts as a collector. On the other hand, our families are going to benefit when we pass away and they inherit them. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I know, you know, we talked beforehand that, you know, you didn't want to pick a favorite. You don't want to say what's your, your most valuable card or what your collection is worth. I'm sure your ins insurance agent wants to know what it's worth. But in general, in general, just what do you think? If let's say I'm not a morbid person, so I'm not going to say you're dead, but let's say you suddenly lose interest and somebody wants to come in and value your, your collection, your entire collection, give us a ballpark, what you think that might be worth. Well, I never answer that question. Um, and I won't, um, okay, fair enough. and to be honest with you, and I'm going to be very honest with you. I don't know <laughs> because there, I don't follow prices yeah. and they have changed so drastically. In the last three years, I only know what a card is worth at two times. When I'm in the market to buy it, I research, see what they're selling for. And if I should have doubles and I want to sell one and I only sell my doubles, right. uh, I will research it to see what a fair price to sell it. You know what I should be able to get for it and what I should list it at. And I haven't even sold anything in, in many years now. But uh, I'm being uh, totally honest. I don't know what they're worth. I honestly don't. 
I mean, I have over a hundred thousand cards. And for me to put those all in a spreadsheet and follow the VCP every week, uh, you know, it's just not something that there are a lot of collectors that do that, but that, that's not what it's about for me. I, yeah. I don't care. You know, no. I, don't, I just don't care. Yeah. And I, I, I appreciate and, that and, because yeah, and when it comes to insurance, I just estimate, you know, what, what would it be worth if something happened? I just want to have some protection, right? Yeah. I want to, I want to recoup my money. Yeah. And so I just made an estimation and uh, you know, the, the insurance that I, I have is, is one where you can insure it for what you want. And it's probably under what they're worth. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, but it would be enough that if something happened, I wouldn't be out all that money that I, you know, invested over the years. And I like the way you put it is it really doesn't matter because, you know, what it's worth. I mean, I hate to sound like a, a MasterCard shill, but it's, you know, what it's worth. There's a dollar figure and then it's actually priceless because it it carries with it 50 plus years of memories of getting many of those or maybe each of those. So the the, the dollar figure value is not nearly as important as the, as the memories in collecting. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I, if I had to get that insurance money, I would probably cry. I, yeah. I would much rather have all, you know, how long I have spent, uh, gathering these cards and I have cards that, you know, PSA has only graded one or they haven't graded, graded any because I've always been drawn to the rare and obscure stuff. Yeah. And years ago, those were considered, and I hate this term, I hate it, oddball cards, a lot of them. Because I, the reason I hate that is a card is a card. Like, I don't understand what would make it oddball, right? Like a, a T206 isn't the same size as a 1952 tops. It doesn't mean it's an oddball. So, uh, you know, cards were issued in all kinds of different things. And a card to me is a card. But I have, I've always been drawn to those obscure kinds of of. Uh, issues and a lot of people didn't know about them and now that the 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 hobby is booming you know they're catching on and yeah. a lot of those a lot of those obscure cards are now uh worth a lot of money for instance you know the, that uh 1932 Sinella margarine babe ruth you couldn't give that card away four years ago couldn't <laughs> give it away you could pick one up for like a hundred now they're selling for three five thousand dollars uh, and that card for decades, nobody wanted because it was a German issue. Yeah. And those are the kinds of cards I, I, I had stockpiled. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. And I just thought of it, not to get us off track, Gary Wozlewski. So how, how much, and I'm going to really put you on the spot here. How much is a 1970 series Gary Wozlewski tops card worth today? You know, I have to be honest with you. I, 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 I'm a, I'm a, I'm a baseball, bit of a baseball historian and trivia buff, but I do not know him. I don't know that card. <laughs> I think he was a catcher. You've, you've stumped me. Well, that's that's okay. It wouldn't matter because I don't have. I have my original one, but I don't have doubles of it because I probably put him in my bicycle spokes because he wasn't worth much. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he's part of my set, and I'm not getting rid of the one that I do have. You mentioned you something with that card, though, I just wanted to bring up that when you're a little kid, it's not always about the player. Sometimes it's about the actual card yeah. just because it's a cool looking card, yeah. just because it's a hard card to find and none of your friends have it. Yeah. There were different reasons that you would love. There were lots of cards I loved, but they weren't necessarily the best players. Yeah, we we collect them and say, uh, OK, who's the who's the ugliest <laughs> ugliest player in the big leagues based on his baseball card. And there was a 
pitcher for the A's named Don Mossy, who was absolutely, I mean, he- I, I was just going to bring him up. He had the best <laughs> years in baseball. I, his, I had his 1955 card and yep. uh, it just, it just, uh, that, that image is ingrained in my head. And then some of them had uh, funny names. And when you're a kid, you get a kick out of it. Like Don Assey. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I can't remember who it was who described Don Mossy, but said he looked like a taxi cab driving down the street with both doors open. Yeah. Because <laughs> his ears stuck way out. Okay. Yeah, and then you had players uh, like Wally Moon stands out with the eyebrows. Yeah, yeah. All right, we could do that. We could do that for, for hours. I want to just kind of wrap up with a couple things. You say you still buy stuff. What types of things are you looking for when you're, bu- when you're out buying? So mostly now I am an opportunist. And that is, I see a, a great card that I know is obscure, um, that, that uh, is a good price. And it might be that I just saw that card for the first time. And also, I, I do a lot of, uh, you know, I learn about new players all the time. And if I learn about some new players uh, or some new player, then I want to go uh, get the card. You know, yeah. there's something like uh, Ollie, Ollie Pickering. Well, I never knew about Ollie Pickering. So I, I learned about him and I wanted to go get his card because Ollie Picker, Pickering played in the Texas League. And one day he went seven for seven and he uh, they were all little flails, little bloops that barely left the infield. And he is where the press dubbed the term Texas Leaguer. Hmm. And so he has some, you know, some <clears throat> history in baseball. And the other one was Sox Seabold. I learned about Sox Seabold, and it turned out that he had moved when he was a little kid. His family moved him to Jeanette, PA, and that's where my dad's from. That's where I'm from. And uh, my dad grew up there, and he became a very good baseball player in Jeanette. And then he ended up playing for the athletics, and he was a powerful hitter. I think that's why they called him Sox. So he had broken his leg, and he was at the end of his career, and he was playing for Connie Mack. And Connie Mack... um, he was b- rebuilding the team with young players. And he told Sox, he said, I have this player uh, down in Greenville, South Carolina, and he keeps running home. He doesn't want to, he doesn't like the big city. You need to go down and you need to pick him up. So Sox gets on a train. He goes down to Greenville and, and he picks up shoeless Joe Jackson and he gets him on the train and they have dinner and he's taking him back to Philadelphia in the middle of the night. Sox goes to bed. He wakes up and shoeless Joe Jackson had jumped off that train and went back to Greenville. And so if it wasn't for Sox Seabold, he had to go running after him and take him back. You know, we may never know who Shoeless Joe was because he did not want to go to the big city. Wow. Great. So when I learn about that. Oh, yeah. And then he only has like three cards I know of. And one is the super rare E107. Uh, And so I I had to go get the E107 card of his. And I might be the only one who's shopping for a card that even knows who he is. Yeah. But that card means a, a lot to me. It's amazing. I'm sure you've come in. You've this has happened to you. <clears throat> you probably go antiquing and stuff. A real good friend of mine, his wife was a basketball coach, college basketball coach, and she was out recruiting. And it was like an hour before her appointment. She's in this small town, so there's not a whole lot to do. So she sees this antique store, and she and he, he's my age. He's in his early sixties. Um, she she sees this shoebox of old baseball cards. And so she asked the guy, said, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a complete set. There's like 150 in there. And I think it's from 1953 or something like that. So she calls him and said, you know, they, the guy wants 10 bucks for this box of 
1953 cards. And he's, he thinks it's a whole set. He's not sure. And said, try to try not to tell him how much it's worth. But if he, if he charges you less than a thousand, buy it. And it was, you know, even then this was 20 years ago, it was worth because it was a complete set and it was at 53, 54, somewhere in that range was worth like 5,000 bucks. And the guy sold it for 10 or $15. Man, yeah. just, just, just a mantle in the set would be worth more than that now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. I want to, I want to wrap up with this. You, I mentioned in the introduction, I, and I found an article on you, uh, about you. And that's where I got a lot of this information that you had the idea of opening a museum or even a cafe. Uh, I just think that's the coolest thing where parents can bring their kids and maybe that you got some of the baseball cards under, you know, maybe they're laminated or something so nobody can damage them. And they talk about the history of the game. You'll have TVs showing the games and you'll have memorabilia on the walls. What is the status of that project? Yeah, I have not moved forward with uh, with anything yet. I have always had a dream of having some sort of a museum and I always gather together old boxes, old old artifacts, packs, wrappers, uh, yeah. you name it, um, in, in, with that in mind. And it's kind of evolved over the years to be more of a, yeah, a sports card cafe, and, and you summed it up pretty well, where maybe there's uh, part of that is a museum in the back. Part of it is uh, an area where maybe uh, players come in and sign or we have card shows. And then the main cafe would be like a stadium feel, Mm -hmm. And it would be, you know, it's for kids mainly to come in, play old games and teach uh, about the the sports. And then, uh, yes, have have cards throughout the place, all the tables and that kind of thing. Um, I really have not pursued it, to be honest with you, because I had um, the, the, the president of the Charleston River Dogs was up here. And we had been talking about um, displaying my my cards at the, at the stadium, you know, a temporary display kind of thing. And I just get so nervous about putting them out like that. Yeah. And that has been holding me back. Uh, not to mention that the Baseball Hall of Fame, when they uh, started their, their, their um, card museum, they stole a lot of the ideas I wanted to use. <laughs> not yeah. that they stole them from me, but they're, they're doing a lot of the same things I wanted to do. Um, well, so, I'll, I'll tell you what, John. I, you know, if there's a way to do it, preserving some of the stuff, you know, protecting it, um, I, I would encourage you to, to pursue that. Um, I would come to, I'd come to Greenville. I've got a cousin who's an attorney in Greenville, so I'd have a place to stay. Uh, and I would, uh, I would definitely come and see that. And w if you're ever in Kansas city, I'll take you to my favorite restaurant. It's called chapels. And it's basically what you're describing. I, I had eaten there maybe half a dozen times before I realized that the food is really, really good. Uh, because right. they've got, they've got pictures, every square inch of the walls are covered. There's stuff, you know, on the tables, uh, in the, in the men's room, excuse me, various artifacts. And the guy that owns it has a warehouse. He rotates stuff in and out. Yeah. He's got football helmets from the early 1900s when they first started wearing helmets, um, hanging from the ceiling. Any mixes there, there's, I'm sure there's a, there's a pattern to it, but you have to go there several times to figure out that pattern, but he'll have a chief's helmet next to a, a Boston Patriots helmet next to a 
St. Pius X high school helmet and stuff like that. You get so immersed, excuse me, in the in the atmosphere that you don't realize the food is really, really good. So yeah, and I had the same idea. I'll take you there. Yeah, I had the same idea about rotating so that you know, if you've already been there, when you come back the next time, you're going to see totally different things. Because I believe me, I have enough to show. But I wanted to mention, you know, uh, you, you had a player at, in Kansas City, Freddie Pate, and he he came up with my Pittsburgh Pirates, right? And uh, how many total home runs did he have in his career? Not many. Ten, I think. Yeah. And did you know that three of them came in the same game? I did not know that. That's an interesting fact about him. He, I'll tell you what, he's a scratch golfer. Even, even at this age, he's still really, really good golfer. And he can hit it a mile. He's like 5'4". Is that right? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's he's funny. a small guy, but I, I used to enjoy watching him play short. He was a smooth-fielding short stuff. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I always like to wrap up, especially when I don't know the person really well. I like to wrap up my podcast with two things. The first one is tell me about your family. Oh, my family. So <laughs> um, I have a wife. I met her in uh, Cotonou, Benin, West Africa. And we've been married for uh, 23 years now. And we never had any children. But uh, a, a few years back, um, we uh, uh, took in a, a, a girl. So uh, that is now my daughter. And she is uh, actually just about to celebrate her white coat um, celebration in dental school. She's getting her white coat uh, uh, in June. Awesome. Awesome. And then the last question I ask everybody, and I, and I preface it with this, you can interpret the question however you want it, and then obviously answer however you want it. What is your legacy? Oh, my legacy. <laughs> you know, I... I um... This is this is one of the reasons that I that I wanted to do a museum or donate my cards to some something like that, where everybody says they want to donate their cards to a museum. Right. So I wanted mine to actually be a museum and I wanted the money to go to uh, children's causes and uh, have children go there. And and my family knows this. So if there's ever a, a way, um, should I pass? Uh, it, it may happen without me. So just educating kids on on baseball and benefiting kids is that the? Yeah, I mean any any money, all the money I, I wanted to go to children's causes, but uh, certainly the museum would be geared, uh, you know, for kids and and certainly everybody, you know, all of us who uh, when you go into a card store or someplace that has amazing cards, like go to the national, you're like a kid in a candy store, right? Yeah. All righty. Well, John, I appreciate this very much. As soon as I saw that clip. Uh, you know, about you. I thought I got to get this guy on the podcast and it was as much fun as I anticipated. I love talking about, about baseball card collect. I probably enjoyed baseball card collecting more than I enjoyed, enjoyed watching baseball. It just connected us so well with the game. Well, I've gotten to that point, especially with all the, all the sports, the, the, the rule changes have, you know, when you're, when you're our age, I'm not quite where you are, but I'm not far behind. Um, you know, the, the rule changes in baseball, just uh, especially in football. Yeah. It's just a different it's just a different game. Yeah. All right. Well, John, thanks very much for joining us. You take care. If you're ever in Kansas, Thank you. let me know. I'll take you to chapels. OK, deal. 
Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.